Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Today, as we're talking about uh, community, we're talking about community in the sense of warfare. We've been in this series. I thought I was going to end it last week. I really, 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 really do believe that we're going to end it this week. Uh, But we're never going to end warfare. You're constantly going to be in a state of warfare. And uh, the sooner that you realize that, the sooner you will, you will realize how to live successfully in uh, a state of warfare. And it's, you know, you, you can say, I don't like that. I don't, listen, I don't like conflict. I just hate that. I wish that we didn't have to fight the enemy. But the enemy loves to fight. And he's never going to give up until he has to give up. And when I hear people uh, like Chris uh, talk about, you know, your family being through hell these past however many months or year or, or whatever. It's like, bro, I identify with that. I totally identify with you. But that is a spiritual thing. It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual warfare. So you got to learn how to fight spiritually in that realm. Uh, if you're trying to do it in the natural, which so many people in the body of Christ do, you are going to lose most of the time. I'm not going to say you're going to lose every time, but you are going to lose most of the time. So today, as we dive into this last message, we're going to get to Joshua chapter 7. I don't know if anybody uh, read that. I asked you if you would go and read it because, uh, you know, when, you, when I have to go through a long chapter to kind of get deep into it, it can be long and and tedious. And if you've never read this before, like you're coming from a place of of zero context, whereas if you've read it, you know, you're coming from a a place of some foreknowledge. So in Joshua chapter 7, and I'll set up a little bit of context for that later to let you know kind of what happened in chapter 6 and then what happened in chapter 8. Um, But I I started this message last week and I said, Satan's strategy uh, to destroy, because we know in John 10.10 it says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And his strategy to do that is through division. The church is constantly caught off guard. Do you hear me? The church is constantly caught off guard. When the enemy tries to divide. That is his chief method. And here's how I know that. Jesus, when he was hearing the Pharisees talk. When he had just cast these demons, this demon out of this guy. And they said, well, he's doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? He said, Satan... Satan doesn't cast Satan out. God casts Satan out. Like, that's ridiculous. And look at this verse. Matthew 12, 25 says, Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking, so he said to them, every kingdom, whether it's the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, every kingdom that fights against itself will be destroyed. Like, think about that. Every kingdom that fights against itself will be destroyed. Every kingdom 
kingdoms of darkness, kingdoms of light. Churches are supposed to be kingdoms of light. Families, kingdom of, kingdoms of life together. If you're fighting amongst yourself, if you're fighting with yourself, the scripture says the principle is that it will be destroyed. And every city or family that is divided against itself will not survive. Listen, I'm telling you, it's a sad thing when you see families fighting among themselves. It's destroyed. It's a wreck. It may not be completely obliterated like it doesn't exist anymore, but it's a deformed mess of what it used to be. It's destroyed. Churches who fight amongst themselves, they may still exist, yet they are destroyed. And so Jesus is basically laying the foundation that, hey, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. It will not be effective. And so here's the thought that I left you with last week, that Satan, he's trying to destroy our church the local church. You remember I said he can't destroy the big C church. He can't destroy the church, the bride of Christ, because that's impossible for him to do. But he can destroy a local church. He can destroy a community of people. And the enemy is trying to destroy churches. I'm telling y'all, church, if you don't ever get outside of the context of destiny church, you... uh, you, you will only see life through the prism of Destiny Church. Listen, sometimes it's hard for me to stay encouraged and energized. Sometimes it's, and, I, and I'm talking about me personally, but I'm telling you, I am a stereotype of pastors, okay? I'm not the only one. In the, in the Christian world today, it is hard for pastors to, like, I, I, I don't even know what the latest count. I, I heard that it was like 1,500 a, a month of pastors that are leaving ministry. They're just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I pour into, I study, I pour into people's lives, and there's, there's, there's no fruit from it. I'm like, 1,500 That is crazy, the number of pastors leaving ministry. The enemy is trying to destroy churches. And not only is he trying many, many times, he is destroying churches. He's trying to destroy our homes. If you look at where we are in the country today, man, it is at a critical point in homes. He's trying to destroy our personal lives. He's trying to destroy people. He's trying to destroy you. And he'll use us to do it. We think a lot of times it's from outside. No, it's from inside is the easiest way. Like if you can get a spy on the inside of a country and get intel. If you can send mercenaries secretly into a country. It's so much easier to destroy from the inside. And the enemy is well aware of that. That if he can destroy your family from the inside. If he can destroy uh, uh, the church from the inside. And if he can destroy you from the inside. Well how is he going to destroy me from the inside? Well he'll intimidate you. 
He'll attack you through these different spirits that I talked about uh, last week. I shared with you that he'll do it through seven different spirits. A spirit of python. That's one that'll, that'll squeeze the life out of you. It'll suck the life out of you. It'll leave you weak and worn and pressured. And there's a pressure to perform. And you never can perform enough. You can never perform to the place where you feel worthy. So he'll begin to attack you and your and, 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 and your self-worth. And as you begin to question your ability, then everything that people say to you, now you're offended by that because you're being squeezed and tortured by this spirit. And so you're hearing things that, you know, aren't even said that are being said because you're hearing it through a, 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 a filter of python. And there's the spirit of Leviathan. And I'm not going to go through all of these because I did that last week if you had checked that out. But the spirit of Leviathan, the spirit of Jezebel, which is a spirit of rebellion, the spirit of offense, the spirit of mammon, which is uh, material things and covetousness and, and, and a lust for material things and money, spirit of poverty, I'm not good enough, I'll never have enough, uh, you know, I'm not worthy enough, a spirit of seduction. And that is, is not as much to do with sexual as it is in a luring spirit. A, a spirit that will lure you away from things. Like, listen to me, church family. There is a spirit of seduction upon the church today. That we see it in, in, in our church here, Destiny Church. That people have gone away and they've not come back. COVID across the board... People just dropped out of church. Now, I don't know if you know these things. Like, I read articles, I read studies on this all the time. Why? Because I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a clergy, I'm a, I'm a priesthood. And so, what, what would you, I, you don't expect me to go read mechanic books, right? You don't expect me to go read architectural books and all of that. I read things related to the kingdom and the church. And right now, our nation, we are on the verge, if the church of the living God does not wake up. We are on the verge of becoming Europe. I don't know if you've ever been to Europe, but they have incredible cathedrals and beautiful monasteries and all of that that are as dead as doornails, and they, they have opened them up to the public to pay their bills. They, they take tours to pay for the bills of these places. And we are on the cusp of becoming Europe if we don't wake up. And who am I talking to? I'm not just talking to the people that aren't here. I'm talking to some of you, church family. I'm talking about, man, it's time for you to stir some gifts up in yourself. It's like, I'm just telling you, man. We are to the place where if we don't do something in the church in America, we're going to see the death of the church in America. I'm talking about the little C church now. There is always going to be a, remin a, a remnant. Scripture talks about in, in the Old Testament, it talks about there is a remnant that remains in Israel. I have made my mind up. I promise you, I am going to be, and I am a part of that remnant. I, I don't know if I'll last until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ or if I'll die and go by the way of the grave and, and resurrection, but I'm telling you, I've made my mind up 
that I am going to be and I am part of the remnant. If our church ever were to get down to the place where it's me and Shay, maybe it's just me. I'm telling you, I might come in this building alone by myself. I might have to do it on my back patio. But, I, but Destiny Church is always going to live as long as I'm alive. It's always going to live as long as I'm alive. Whether there's two people with me, whether there's no people with me, or whether there's a thousand people with me. But church, I'm telling you, I get up and I preach every week and I wonder, did it matter? Did anybody take anything away from this? Is anybody transformed? Because I don't see as much transformation as I would like to see. I can preach on worship and worship doesn't change. I can preach on giving and giving does not change. I can preach on community and community doesn't change. I can preach, I get so sick and tired of preaching messages on offense and people still don't change. What am I doing? I'm just telling you how the pastors in the United States feel. It's, it's a terrible feeling. You know what we're feeling? We're feeling the effects of Python. We're feeling the effects of Leviathan. We're feeling the effects of Jezebel. We're feeling the effects of, of offense and mammon and poverty and seduction. That's what's happening and God is wanting the church to rise up and war against these spirits because greater is he that is in us than any of those spirits. But if we don't do anything about them, the spirits take over. And the easiest way that he will overcome a church is by getting inside of the church. The easiest way that he will overcome a family and break it apart is getting inside of the family. Breaking you up, getting you guys on separate pages. The easiest way that he will break you down is by getting on the battlefield of your mind and begin to tear you down. Listen, I, I don't uh, have a problem as much with what people think about me as how I think about me. Like people, I know there are people that don't like me. I know that there are people that misunderstood me or misunderstand me. I get it. I get all of that. I mean, over the years, my skin has gotten so thick. I used to be very thin-skinned because I was a super sensitive child because of trauma and different things that went on in my life. But I'm telling you what, I've, thin I've thickened up. My, my skin is pretty thick now. You could pretty much say anything about me because anything and everything has been said about me. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, but it's when I turn on myself, that is when I begin to be destroyed. And if I don't know how to take those thoughts captive when the enemy, I'm telling you, this is something that not a week and many times not a day goes by. And it may be every day and I just don't re realize it. But last night I had the enemy come to me in my bathroom while I was getting ready for bed. And uh, this, is the, this is what the enemy said to me. Now, you got to be careful because the enemy can sound like the Holy Spirit. All right? You've got to discern the motive behind the voice that is speaking to you. 
And this is what the voice of the, Lord, uh, of, of the enemy said to, to me. So I'm in my bathroom. I'm getting ready for bed. And um, I heard the voice say to me, you know, instead of, instead of going to bed, um, why don't you go pray about your message tomorrow? Does that sound like the devil? It doesn't sound like the devil to me. Like, so I'm like, I should probably go pray some more about my message. Come on, man. Please stay with me, church. So here I am. I'm hearing this voice, and it says to me, instead of going to bed, why don't you go pray some more about your message? And I'm sitting there going, well, maybe I need to go pray about my message. But I was exhausted. I was exhausted. And I already prayed about it. Were my my first set of prayers not good enough? All right. So here I am. When I first hear it, I'm like, maybe I need to go pray. And then it's like, I'm just battling it out right here. I'm discerning right here. Wait, let me see. Let me see. And it's like, man, I'm tired. I've already prayed. And that voice did not say it in a way that was edifying to me. It was condescending to me. That it was condemning to me. And that voice, so I quickly was like, Y'all, I'm just telling you, this is where I am. I've been in ministry for my entire life, over 30 years. I've been saved for 35, almost, going, you know, now I'm going on 40 years. Like, I ain't no novice. I've been around the block a few times, and this is not my first church rodeo. But I still am at a place where I have to ask myself because the enemy is so cunning and crafty and subtle and powerful and smooth talking that I have to say, now is is this the voice of God or is this the voice of my enemy? And I literally am doing that in my bathroom. You would think that a man of my stature and ability and veteranship in the ministry, I'd never have to do that, but I do. And I'm just encouraging you that when the enemy comes to you and speaks to you many times, it's going to sound like the Holy Spirit. But you, you better be careful because that spirit, what, what it may, may be doing, the spirit of Python might be saying, hey, you didn't perform well when you prayed first about this. You need to go pray better. That's the spirit of performance. That's the spirit of squeezing me. That's the spirit of like, dude, I was tired. I needed, my body needed rest. So think about it. What I needed, the enemy was trying to steal me of my sleep. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to bed. And if it ain't the, uh, and this is what I said. I'm like, nope. I'm going to bed, and if God, if that's your voice and it ain't the devil, don't let me sleep. Well, I can tell you what, I was asleep just like that. So, so getting inside, get, don't patty cake it. Don't patty cake it. 
So he'll get inside of your head and fight you against you. He'll get inside of your family, and he'll get us together inside of the church. I don't know if you guys have ever heard uh, the story of the Trojan horse. Well, it's mentioned in, in the Odyssey, and it's about the Greeks fighting a 10-year war against the city of Troy, which was believed to be in the, uh, in, in the modern-day country of Turkey, and they could not win this war. And they came up with this ingenious way of trying to penetrate the Trojan walls. And so they built this horse as a gift to the goddess Athena. And so they masqueraded it as a gift. But as you know how the story goes, the Greeks were really inside of that horse. So they marched this gift to the goddess Athena right into the center of of the city of Troy. And at the right moment, the enemy, the Greeks, jump out and the warriors overcome the city. What this is, it's a metaphor of how the enemy will work his way into your home, into your mind, and into our churches. And he will uh, set us up to destroy us from within. All right? And look at Jude chapter, uh, uh, well, Jude is just one uh, chapter. But Jude 1 verses 3 and 4, it's, Jude says, Some ungodly people have secretly worked their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. What he says before that, he's like, listen, man, I was planning on writing to you guys about salvation and explaining that deeper to you, but it's necessary that I write to you now about a defense of the faith and these ungodly people that have secretly worked their their way in. In other words, they came in in a Trojan horse into the church. And the, the Trojan horse that they rode in on was, we're apostles. Look at us, we're apostles. We got our purple suit on, we got our, uh, you know, we, we got our robes on, we got, you know, all of the, you know, mess that a lot of people uh, will, will, you know, think apostleship is all about. Listen, There's not a whole lot special about apostleship. I hate to burst everybody's bubble. Apostles are modern-day functioning apostles. I'm not talking about foundational apostles. I did a whole teaching on that. Uh, you know, we, there are 12 foundational apostles, but there are functioning apostles. They're just basically missionaries and church planners. That's basically just what we do. We just go and we help and we set up and we administrate. So what happens is these apostles, these fake apostles come in, these fake prophets, they come in and they ride in on that Trojan horse and when they get into leadership, they switch the game and all of the sudden, they are taking the beauty of the covenant of God's grace and, and are saying, hey man, you really can sleep around with whoever you want to. You can do whatever you want to. And All of this immorality has crept into the church. Listen, that could be Jude writing that to the church today. Like there are exposés that uh, have been done, you know, pretty much throughout time. But I remember when I was this kid, I got raised uh, from about the age of 15 in church. And I remember when I was in seminary. That these huge names in ministry begin to fall into sin. They begin to fall into like 
like, I'm not just talking like, it was heinous sexual immorality. And my little world was rocked because I didn't know godly people acted that way. I didn't know spiritual leaders. I lived in this, you know, fluffy cloud of like everybody just does good all the time. And it shook my world to think that these men of the faith, great men of the faith that were raised up to global impacts were falling and, and, and getting involved in such horrible things all the while standing behind a sacred desk like this, delivering the word of God week after week after week and multiple times. And listen, I'm telling you, since I, my eyes came to light back in the 80s, there has not been a year go by that there hasn't been somebody that has fallen into some kind of crazy sin. You know what I'm saying? The enemy gets inside. The enemy gets inside. And so... Um, Many times when the enemy gets inside of a local church, he'll begin to tear it up one by one, one by one. And then in your family, all it takes is a husband and wife getting on the same page and he'll tear your family up from inside. And I've already explained how he tears us up in the battlefield of our mind. So say this with me, just so that you can get it in your spirit. Satan is trying to destroy our church our homes, and our lives, and he'll use us to do it. All right, I'm not talking about people who are visiting here, but if you're from Destiny Church, look at your partner next to you and say, he ain't going to use me to do it. Come on, he ain't going to use me to do it. Because he will try. And you've got to make your mind up that the enemy is not going to use you to destroy you, you to destroy your family, and you to destroy our church. All right? Here's what I want to share with you today, and we're going to dive into Joshua. Our, my actions influence and impact others. My actions, they influence people. My actions they impact other people. My actions affect other people. And I might even say it this way. My actions infect other people. Joshua chapter 7. Let, let's dive into it. Joshua chapter 7. So, to set this up, what's just happened, Joshua is leading the, the people of Israel, the whole nation into the promised land. As they go into the promised land, they have to conquer all of these pagan cities. As they conquer these pagan cities, God tells them what to do and how to do it. They are just, uh, they have just in chapter six attacked Jericho. God said, you're not going to have to lift a finger. You just march around it. You blow the trumpet and, and you do this for seven days. On the seventh day, you do it seven times. I'm going to crumble everything. When you go in, do not touch a thing. Do you hear me? Do you understand? Everything in that city is accursed. It's, it's going to be set apart and dedicated to me. It's accursed because they used all of that stuff to worship pagan gods. I don't want you having that. It's like you telling your child, don't touch that. Why? They want to poke it, touch it, put it in their mouth. He's, and you've said to your child, don't touch that. Why? Because it's 
filthy. God was saying to them, go in the city, don't you touch a thing. I'll win the battle for you, but don't touch it. It's filthy, and it'll be set apart. I will sanctify it, but it's going to be brought into my treasury. And so they go in, and they, uh, they, they destroy, you know, God destroys the city, and they finish off and do their part. But then in, verse, uh, in chapter 7, we get to this chapter. And so for time, I'm going to uh, just, uh, we're going to fix and go through it like line by line, precept upon precept. But I'm going to give you the context of the whole chapter. So what happened is Achan, whose name means trouble. You ever, had a, you ever said this to your kids or something? Like, here comes trouble. Like Achan, his name literally meant trouble. And so Achan, he sees while they're roaming through the city and the rubble, he sees a Babylonian robe, he sees a bar of gold, and he sees some silver worth, I believe, 200 shekels. And he covets that and he takes it. What did God say? Don't touch that stuff. But he takes it anyway. He takes it and he takes it into his tent and he buries it. He buries it all down and he buries the silver at the very bottom deeper than everything else. And he hides it. They're getting ready to conquer their next city. So they're on, they're on a, a, a path. They took Jericho. Now they're about to take Ai. They go and... Um, he sends some spies out. Remember, Joshua was a young spy himself when they went in to uh, spy out the land under Moses' leadership. So Joshua sends some spies out. They come back, and, and this is what they say. Listen, let's not send a whole big troop up there. Like, it'll wear us out. It'll spend a lot of resources. And there's not that many of them. Like, dude, just send a small group up there, and we'll take them. They went up there, and... Those old boys at Ai whipped their tail. And I mean, they chased them for miles back to the quarry. And 30, I think six of them were killed. And fear came upon Israel. And they were, you know, in fear. Joshua goes to the Lord. He prays to the Lord and says, why have you let this happen to me? The Lord says, there's sin in the camp. There's sin inside. How did this happen? How did this happen? We, heard, we were all there. We all heard it. We all heard what you said. Nevertheless, there's sin in the camp. Well, we got to go find out who it is. So what do they do? But the entire million plus, I mean, imagine a million plus nation. They're calling out tribes, all the 12 tribes, and then families within those tribes. And I mean, this is a lengthy process of them having to go through and weed out. And what they would do, I don't have a lot of time to go uh, uh, through this, but they would either, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know based upon other times in Scripture that what, how they found out, they would either cast lots or they would use the Urim and the Thummim. I believe I have the, uh, those I believe I'm saying those right. But these were spiritual ways of basically casting lots and seeing. And God would use those methods to highlight uh, who was the guilty one. All right? And so the tribe of Judah was indicated. And then it goes down to all of the families and it gets to Achan's family. And he's the one. And he admits to what he did. And so 
He's put to death, but not just him, but everything that he has is destroyed. All of his livestock, his, 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 his babies, his wife, his, you know, his whole family, they're all completely destroyed. They're, they were stoned. They built a pile of rocks over his body, and the Israelites say, and to this day, you can go over there and look at it, and there's that big old chunk of rocks. And then they went on, and they attacked the city of Ai this time, and they were successful. All right, so that's the context that I'm giving you. Now let's go back and let's read this and kind of just go through it line by line. In verse, uh, look at chapter 6, verse 8. Um, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 18. This is what, where God is telling them. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction. Or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. If we take them, what's going to happen? Are we just going to be chastised a little bit? Completely destroyed. Were the instructions clear? Very clear. You will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Was that not prophetic? You'll bring trouble. And then over in the next chapter, look at verse 1 of chapter 7. But, Israel, but... Like that tells you, that one word tells you, hey, we just, uh, we just saw God destroy Jericho. We just saw God come through. How is it that you just saw this incredible victory? I mean, everybody's dancing, cheering, praising. You know, it's like, woo, God, look at God. Yes, God, look at God. He did it. Won't he do it? That's where they are. But in verse 1 of chapter 7, but that one word lets you know, uh, everything's fixing to go a different direction. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. There's a few words in here I want. But is important and Israel violated. Wait a second. Who violated? But Achan did it. Like exactly. Community. Community is so important. Achan did this, but Israel was held responsible. One person did it, but an entire nation was responsible because they violated the instructions because the, the word instructions is important because here's the thing. God ain't fair. Our God is not unfair, however much you might think he is. God gave them instructions and said, I told you if you do this, this is what would happen. And look, y'all went and did it, and this is fixing to happen. And so he said that Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. The man named Achan, who means trouble, his name means trouble, has, had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. The Israelites. Not Achan, the Israelites. Church, I'm trying to get you to see something. 
That when you sin, when you are offended, when you are whatever, it affects other people. It influences them. Oh, come on, man. I wish the church of the living God would get some of this. Like when you're offended, you will offend uh, and infect people with your offense. When you are hurt, you'll infect other people with your hurt. When you are whatever, you fill in the blank. When you're sinning, you'll get other people involved in your sin. Don't tell me it's not gonna happen. How many times have you been at school and somebody smoked a cigarette or now they're vaping and all that and all of a sudden your, your kid is doing it or you did it. Why did you do it? Because somebody's sin infected you. And I mean, we could go on and on with examples of that. And you know, well, Pastor Rife, this is the Old Testament. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he said, if one part of the body suffers, then all the other parts of the body suffer with it. That word right there in the Greek, suffers, really means effect. If one part of the body is affected by any one thing, then all the other parts of the body are affected with it. When one part is honored, in other words, when one part is celebrated, when you celebrate, dude, I celebrate with you. When you win out in the community, I win as a pastor. When my wife is celebrated, I'm celebrated. You know, I'm proud of her when I hear things about her in the community and in the uh, school system. When they, I'm like, dude, that's my wife over there. She's part of me, you know? And, and so you get the point what I'm saying. Paul also says this. Paul also says this. It's, he says that, um, listen, he's writing to the Corinthians, and I cannot remember. Let me look at which uh, verse this is. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, listen, I'm not real proud of you right now, all right? When pastors talk to churches nowadays, that spirit of offense gets off on them. I can't believe, he, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Who, do, who did they, who does she think she is to tell me that? Spirit of offense. Paul, I'm telling y'all, y'all could not have Paul as y'all's pastor. Paul is like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Everybody needs a Paul in their life. Some people have not understood I'm your Paul. You're wanting me to be your John, but I'm not your John. I'm not, you're not going to lay your head on my breast. I'm not your John. I'm not who you're going to, you know, you want me to be your Jesus. You want me to be, no, sometimes I'm your Paul. Because you need someone to tell you how you need to get back into alignment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, listen, I'm not proud of y'all right now. He said, y'all got a guy in your church. Uh-uh-uh. This goes against the culture, the hyper-grace, hyper-lovey-dovey, we're all lovey-dovey. It goes against that spirit in our churches today. Paul says, there's a man in your church. Y'all know he's in your church. You're allowing him to live, have sex with his father's wife. 
Y'all are okay with that. You're okay with him being on the worship team. You're okay with him teaching the kids. You're okay with him being a greeter. You know, you're okay with him serving on your whatever, whatever team. And he says, I'm telling you, y'all are more mature than that. Like he needs to be called to repentance. And if he won't come to repentance, then he is not to be a part of that community. And you need to listen to me. I don't say this. The scripture illuminated by the Holy Ghost over Paul writing these said this. He said, if he will not submit, y'all need to get rid of him. Because he's going to infect. His actions are going to infect the church. I had a guy many years ago. We weren't in this building. We were in the other building. And uh, he had uh, started sending pictures of himself to other women in our church. And one of the women reached out to me. And I know this, I know all of them personally. And, uh, and I, I just told him, I said, I love you, but you are not going to do that here. I don't know if that's why he doesn't come to church here or not. I still have community with him from time to time. But I told him, you are not going to do that here. You are not going to shipwreck some young woman's faith. They're coming to church, and I don't know, they might be a hoochie mama coming looking for the same thing. I don't know, but not on my watch, people. You are not going to come in here and look, 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 look. And this, this, this young man has uh, ability, he has speaking ability, he has, lot, he has charisma, he has all the things Why do you think the enemy hits him with a spirit of seduction? Because he's trying to rob, steal all of those gifts from him and the body of Christ. Some of you young boys that are in here, you need to hear this message. That the enemy will try to use you to steal what you guys can be to the world, to the body of Christ, to the community, to your future uh, uh, wives. And for young ladies, your future husbands, the enemy will do this to you and attack you in these areas. But I said to that young man, you're not going to do this. In this church. Now that I know. I'm, I got my eye on you. I'm going to hold you accountable. Very shortly. He leaves. Because people don't want accountability. They don't want that. But if you're in a community. You should be accountable. You should have people. Like listen. If you don't want that. This isn't the place for you. And can I tell you. That is why the church is where it's at today. Because people don't want that. They are. We're living in these last days. Where people are lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of themselves. They have a form of godliness. But they deny the power that comes uh, uh, from that. And so as we're looking at this. We're seeing that Achan has brought this among the people of Israel. And then if we look down through here, the term Judah, here's the crazy thing. The, the, the name Judah, it literally means praise and thanksgiving. Like, think about this church, praise and thanksgiving. 
the place that the enemy came into the camp, every musician and singer in the house should pay attention right here. The place where the enemy came into the camp was through the praisers, was through the, the ones that thanksgiving and praise and we think of worship happening. And he comes through one of the most prestigious families. I, can't, I cannot um, overstate the prestige of the family of, uh, of the tribe of Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. Solomon came from the tribe of Judah. David came from the tribe of Judah. This wasn't just any ordinary tribe. This is the tribe that when civil wars, listen to me. If you'll listen, oh God, I hope you're getting this. Civil war split the 12 tribes apart. Judah became a, a nation of its own and all the others went to the north. But Judah was its own and so it was divided into northern Israel and Judah for a period. And then I believe the tribe of Benjamin came down and, and, and was a part of them for a while until Israel was reunited. So right there it shows you that the enemy gets in and will divide. And so Judah, the spirit comes in to the worshipers, the, the, the praise warriors. He, you know, this fighting family, one of the most strategic warrior families in the tribe of Judah, that's where the enemy comes in. When you are walking, listen, if you have any position in the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to constantly attack you. We just have to understand that. In your family, you have to understand, Chris, like you're the head of the family. You're the leader of the family. There's always going to be an assault against you. I wish I had better news for you, brother. But the way that you combat that is maturing in your faith. And, and you know that now when the enemy comes, some of the battles that I would have lost maybe in my earlier years, I, I, they don't even bother me anymore. I have, I have different battles now. And so the enemy, he comes against those in leadership, and he will constantly be attacking you in your mind. Um, this family that, that the enemy comes in, it's like we don't have a lot of context about, about his descendants. And here's the thing that, like, I'm not sure. I don't know if... Uh, Achan's father, Carmi, and his uh, grandfather, Zimri, and his great-grandfather, Zerah. I don't know what kind of people those are. If anybody does, come share that with me. But they're in there for a reason. It says that Achan, son of Carmi, all right, and then Zimri and Zerah. So he's giving some gene genealogy and giving some uh, generational thing. And here's one thing that I want to point out to you that I personally believe God is laying this out before us is to let us know that, hey, Achan didn't just walk through the camp one day. This is important. Achan wasn't walking through, uh, not the camp, Jericho. He wasn't just walking through and he saw these things and he's like, man, those are really cool and valuable. I, I would love to keep those. And he was tempted and he took them. This is me. I truly believe this. That these, this was a generational thing that had been developing over ages and generations within his generation. Because 
you notice, now the scripture sometimes, it can be so detailed. And it'll put stuff in there and you're like, why is that even important? When the scripture puts something in there, it's important. And sometimes when the scripture leaves things out, it's important too. If God wanted us to know certain things about these families, he would have put those in there. But I'm sitting here telling you, based upon the facts that we have in the account that we have, when they start calling them out into the different aspects of, uh, of accountability, not one person is recorded. Not one person is recorded as having said anything. Not one person there's, there's no account that it's like, I'm just telling you, if that had happened in my house and we had taken something, which I'm pretty sure I probably did as a kid, my, my mama would be coming through the house going, now, if anybody took this, Rife, did you take it? I didn't take it, mama. You're lying. I can tell in your eyes, you know. I mean, th this is how it would be in my tribe. I'm telling y'all, y'all ain't going to embarrass me. So if anybody's hiding that, y'all better come clean. Like that, that's how it would be in my family. Nobody in any of these families said anything. They knew what was going to happen. They knew what the, what the penalty was. And none of them said a word. None of them said a word. Well, it's one in a million odds that I might get caught. That's pretty good odds. And then it finally gets down to one in 12. And then it gets down to one in, you know, however many were there in the family. Not one person, not one person said anything. And when the lots fell on Achan, Achan finally said, I did it. I did it. I did it. But here's the thing about Achan. When you look at Achan, he, it, it, it says what he did. He's, uh, let me see, where, where does it say it? Uh, verses 20 and 21. So in verses 20 and 21, he says, um, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. I wanted them so much, coveted them so much, I took them. And they're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. There's so many things in those two verses. Number one, there is not an apology anywhere in there. There is a statement of admission, I did it, and this is what I did, and this is where they are. There is not one ounce of contrition. There's not one uh, sentence of repentance in there. Are you following me? Like, dude, you are fixing to be killed. And still, not repentant. Have you ever seen people, dude, they're caught in the act. There's evidence. There's evidence. Yet, not my fault. Well, you do this, or you do, you, 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 and, and it's always deflecting. That's what's happening here. There's no admission. 
And this is what he says. If you're not careful, dude, you'll miss so many good details. He said, what I did is I took the plunder. Oh, hey, wait, what? The word plunder is important. What is plunder? Plunder is what you are entitled to. That is not plunder. So now we're redefining terms. Oh my God. Am I talking to the church of God in America? Am I talking to the American people? We are redefining terms. No, my friend, you did not take plunder. Plunder is what is yours. You get to go in. The, the soldiers, if they, were, if they could have had plunder, then that's yours. You go in and you get what you want. That was not plunder. When you read in chapter 6, verse 18, he said, don't touch any of that. It is not yours. It is mine. It is going to be destroyed and the, and the metal brought into the treasury. It is mine, says the Lord. Don't touch it or you will be completely destroyed. All of a sudden... We redefine terms. Why? Because when we redefine terms, it lessens the offense that we've committed. When we redefine terms, it validates what I did. Does that make sense? And here we are. We've got him guilty. He's caught. He's red-handed. And this is what he says. He says, it's in my tent, hidden in the ground, beneath my tent, with the silver buried deeper than the rest. Church, that's so important. The silver was buried deeper than the robe. The silver was buried deeper than the bar of gold. There are things in our lives, personally, listen to me, my friend. You might think it's buried so deep, nobody will know but you. There will always be at least two beings that know. You and God, always. Does not matter how deep you bury whatever. God always knows. And the scripture says your sin will find you out. It will come to light sooner or later. Oh, it may be after you're dead and gone and somebody finds the letters. It might be after you're dead and gone. It might be after you lost that job and somebody looks at the books. It might be after, but it will come to light. Why? Because that's a biblical principle. What happens here is he buries it deeper. And sometimes in our world, we'll bury things so deep that when I told you last week, like everything that looks spiritual is not spiritual. Some of those spirits, they, they, they look spiritual, in Acts 16, 16, when the girl is going behind him, possessed by a devil and describing the great works of God. To the average person, that looks religious. In my bathroom last night, when the enemy was speaking to me, that sounded so spiritual, I had to take a minute and discern, is this the voice of God or is this the enemy? And I discerned that this was the enemy. Listen. There are times when we will have things buried so far down that nobody will know. From the outside, there is an appearance of godliness. From the outside, there is an appearance of like, man, this is one of the best people, et cetera, et cetera. But somewhere deep down, hidden, deep, deeper than anything else that they've buried so far, you cannot see it, but it will raise its ugly head in time 
And when it does, it not only affects that person, but it affects a group around them. Whether it be your family, you individually, or the church. And so, let me go on and share a few other things with you that, as we're looking through this, um, I I want you to look at verse uh, 2. Let me see, chapter 7, verse 2. So Joshua sent some of his men uh, from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai. And this is what they said when they came back. Verse 3. There's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. What will happen is these spirits, as they attack you, the enemy will make you underestimate your opponent. Do you remember in one of the messages in this series, I said, don't overestimate your enemy. Don't give him more power than he has. But whatever you do, don't underestimate him. You keep your eye on the enemy at all times. Don't overestimate him, but don't underestimate him. What happens is this spirit, it puts a false confidence on them. And it's like, look, look at what happened here. Now, you got to go back to the other chapters. When Joshua was going up against uh, Israel, he would always seek the Lord. He would go before the Lord. He would ask the Lord, how are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? They had just had this incredible victory. And nowhere do we see Joshua going before the Lord. He, he, he fudges on it. And he's like... Man, I'm just going to take y'all's word at it. It's not a whole lot of people. We don't really need to consult the Lord over this. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Like, we don't need to consult the Lord over this. When they were doomed for destruction. So he doesn't pray. There's sin in the camp. They go up. They get defeated. And then what happens is when they get defeated, the scripture says this. Look at verse 5. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites, this is important, were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. This is so important because those seven spirits that I was talking to you, especially the spirit of Leviathan, especially the spirit of Jezebel, especially uh, the spirit of Python, all of them will instill fear. They They will paralyze you with fear. They will intimidate you. So spirits of fear, spirits of intimidation. I mean, my God, you just marched around a city and took a city way bigger than that and you didn't lift a finger and all of a sudden you're paralyzed with fear over this. And then look at what happened. Joshua, he falls on his face and scripture says in verse six, Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay threw dust on their heads, bowed their face to the ground before the Lord, uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord until evening. So, I mean, dude, they're out there. This ain't no quickie prayer. They're out there praying. And then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let the Amorites kill us if only we had been content to stay on the other side? 
Listen to this. There's so many important things right there. When we fail, who do we blame? God. God, why are you doing this to me? When many times it's not God doing it, but the consequences of our disobedience. So here Joshua, the spiritual leader, is crying out to the Lord and he's saying, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? Like, I mean, if we only could have been okay with living in slavery. Like, if we only, like, dad it! If we only could have been okay with bondage. If we only could have been okay being slaves for the rest of our life. If we only could have been okay with building those stinking pyramids for the rest of our life. For generation to generation. If we only could have been okay with living in poverty for the rest of our life. If we only could have been okay trying to bow down and pray to pagan idols. If we only could have been satisfied there. But no, you drag us out into the middle of the desert and look at what it's gotten us. Bro, I'm telling you what, this is us so many times when it doesn't go our way and something's happening in our world. We want to blame him and we just want to go back to living in the slop that he pulled us out of. Living beneath our means, living beneath our identity, living beneath, you know, our inheritance. Why? Because it's easier living like a slave. It's easier eating the slop that they plop on your plate than it is going out, growing your crops, better food, more nutritious, building your own house, you own it. You follow me? The enemy will do this to us. Let me try to wrap this up. Come play some stopping music. Make it real good stopping music, okay? I'm just going to highlight these. Verse 11. God says repeatedly, they, meaning Israel, they lied. They stole, they hid. He's referring to the community. He's referring to the community. Church, listen to me. I'm going to use some people that I know I can use. Butch, I love you. But I don't love you more than Destiny Church. Harold, I love you. But I do not love you more than Destiny Church. Lynn, I love you, but I do not love you more than Destiny Church. What am I saying? If, if our friendship, you think that I'm going to covenant with you on some things at the sacrifice of my larger community, no. You know what? There might be some cute little slinky thing come up to me one day in one of these little mini skirts. And, you know, and, and uh, listen. Can I be real with you? Man, I get hit on. I ain't trying to be funny or dumb or serious. You know, I, 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 I will get hit on. I'll get hit on at, at different places. That, I'm telling you, that does not give me a big head. That does not, I, it does not affect me. Why? Because I have made my mind up that I love that woman 
more than any other woman on the planet. I love that woman and I will not violate my covenant that I made with her. I love that woman and I do not want to bring shame and reproach upon my children. I do not want to bring shame and reproach upon Destiny Church. Do you understand me? Like, I can tell you this, as long as I am the pastor, as long as I have breath in my lungs, you are never going to have a pastor that does a few things. He's never going to steal from the church. He's never going to mess around with the piano player. He's never going to mess around with anybody out in the community. You're not going to find me in any overtly heinous sin. Why? Because I've made my mind up. I am in covenant with that woman. I'm in covenant with God. I'm in covenant with that church. And I'm not, I'm, I mean, there might be people that say I bring approach on Destiny Church and whether that might be true or not, I'm telling you, it is not going to be because I'm sinning. It is not going to be because I am violating anything uh, in, in, in an voluntary way. Because I know that my actions affect other people. I know that if you and I, you know, where something's going on and you and I are concocting a plan or maybe, you know, you're hurt or I'm hurt or whatever. And now all of a sudden, you know, you and I, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I know it hurts the greater good. It hurts the greater good. I just don't put my play, myself in those situations. And maybe it's some Christian maturity that I've gotten to that I can do some of those things. Um, verse 23. Verse 23. It says that all of the items were brought into the presence of the Lord. Like that's, that's really important. Like... So when everything was laid out, when everything was exposed, when everything was like, hey, there's no more denying it now. Where are we bringing it to? We're going to bring it into the presence of the Lord. They laid everything out in the presence of the Lord. That's where we need to do it. Not on Facebook. Not among your secret posse. Not you and your two or three buddies that you get together and, you know, you discuss how horrible your wife is and all that. Man, I know I've seen her nag and, you know, blah, 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 and this and that. No. Where do you take that? If you have marriage problems, bring it into the presence of the Lord. If you have any other kind of issue, bring it into the presence of the Lord. If you got secret sin issues, bring it into the presence of the Lord. If you have whatever kind of issues, bring it into the presence. If, there, if we have church issues, let's bring it into the presence of the Lord. Have we prayed about it? Have we prayed about it? Have we brought it into the... What is God saying in the middle of this? I cannot tell you how many times that as pastor of this church that I've tried to protect us and I've tried to been in community with people and I said, let, hey, let, let's, let's show the church what it looks like. Like, this is messy. This is messy. There's no denying. This is messy. We don't have to go into details in the mess. People are afraid of mess because, if I could just be honest with you, church people 
will not be okay with not knowing the details. Mm, girl, what happened? You heard what happened? What's going on? None of your freaking business. None of your business. That's why people will not feel safe. And I cannot tell you how many times that people have messed up. And I've said to them these words. Let's show the church what it's like when something goes wrong and how we recover from it. Let's show, see, what happens is things go wrong. Offense wins. Uh, spirits of seduction win. Spirit of Leviathan wins. Spirit of Jezebel wins. Spirit of, you get it? Pike, all of them. They win when we won't say, hey guys, we messed up here. And we're going to use this as a teaching tool to show you like when it goes horribly wrong, how does the church, how does it look like? How do we make it right? We know how to make it right. Here's the model. We never follow it. So what do we do? We leave and we go somewhere else. Or we leave and we go nowhere else. Are you following me? don't ever get it right and I hope you hear my heart today a lot of times I will talk and preach from my context like when you when when Brian Smith when he talks I can guarantee you there's going to be one or two fire illustrations in there why because he's a he's a literally he's a fireman so he he his illustrations he talks from a place of fire safety mine are going to be from a church context most of the time but don't walk away from here today thinking you know that this is all about church it's it's about church it's about your community it's about where you work it's about your family and it is about you individually the enemy doesn't care about any of those he wants to attack you in every single one of those areas and, ch and, and church, listen to me. He's looking for you to be his Trojan horse. The enemy's looking for you to be his Trojan horse. He just needs one. He just needs one to start with. Because what does the enemy do? Listen to me. The enemy doesn't do anything that God does not do principally. Follow me. We make disciples the enemy makes disciples. All he needs is one. If he can get one inside, one inside of your family, one inside of your community, one inside of whatever, one inside of the church, don't be his Trojan horse. Pastor Rife, where is the good news? Because like, man, the enemy is, you just painted pictures of destruction and everything. Here's the good news. Go read it. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Like we're together, man. We're in community. How good it is when we dwell together in unity. When we're in unity, when we're in community, that's where things are healthy and whole. And it talks about how the, it's, he uses the metaphor. And he says, 
unity in a body, whether it's your house, whether it's your personal mind, you, are you unified with yourself? Are you split with yourself? The scripture calls that double-minded. One day I'm like this, the other day I'm like this, you know? No, are you in unity with yourself? Are you in unity with your family? Are you in unity with your community? And that could look so different. It could be your church, it could be your work, it could be your school. Uses the metaphor of do. Think about this. Where do rivers come from? They don't just appear. Like, well, they come from underneath the earth. Yeah, that's true, but how does water even get into the earth? It starts in the atmosphere as mist. He's like, it's like the dew upon Mount Hermon, which that's the heavenly realm. It flows down to Mount Zion. That's the church realm. And then it flows down. It's like oil. So he uses these two metaphors of anointing. He uses dew as one, and then he uses oil as another. He's like, it's like the oil that is poured over, oil is anointing, pour it over. When we, this is happening when we're in unity. So when we're not in unity, the converse, it breaks the anointing. And so it's like the oil flowing down over the priest, Aaron's head. So the prophetic leadership. When we're in unity, I'm a better pastor. When we're in unity, there's better prophetic movement. It's like the oil that flows down over the prophet's head. It flows down onto the mouthpiece. The mouthpiece is the prophetic voice of the body of Christ. When we're in unity, the, this, what's happening right here, is more anointed than ever. Can I tell you churches that are dead in their pulpits? They're churches that are divided. The enemy has gotten in, and there's, so the, the anointing has broken down. He says this. The metaphor keeps going. It flows down from the head onto the prophetic mouthpiece, the beard, onto the robe. The robe covers the body. Who's the body? All of us. So when we're in unity, when we are working together and not against, the good news is that we are more anointed than ever. And then it flows down to the very ends of the robe, flows down eventually to your feet. What is that? That's the evangelistic method of the church. That's the mission of Christ to go and make disciples. That's the good news. What does the enemy want to do? Break that. Because if we're not united, we're divided in every area of our life. If we're not united, the anointing is not there. Don't be the enemy's Trojan horse. Don't be the enemy's Trojan horse. Abide in unity. Holy Spirit, as we leave today, I want to thank you, God, for the people who have made a commitment to you in their faith and have baptized, been baptized. God, I thank you for this group of people today, God, that's heard this. Now you're responsible for it, church. The word that you heard today, you are responsible. As Achan heard in uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, as Achan heard the word of the Lord with his own ears, that if you take them, you'll be completely destroyed. Today, you're like that. 
You've heard this word with your own ears. So now what you do with this word will depend on whatever fruit you bear in your life. You're responsible for what you've heard. I pray that you take it and you make a decision in your mind that I will not be the Trojan horse that the enemy rides into the camp with. I will be the warriors that stand for truth. And while I'm praying, I, I want to mention one point that I didn't bring up. In Joshua chapter 8, I believe it's like right there, the first verse or so, that just a week later, the Lord said, when you go into Ai, everything in that city is plunder. You can take the cattle, you can take the livestock, you can take any possessions that you want. If Achan had just waited one week on the Lord, the very thing that he wanted, he could have actually had an increase. His disobedience destroyed like his inheritance. So Holy Spirit, I pray that we, as the people of God, would remain faithful, that we would keep our eyes and ears and everything perceptive to the enemy's uh, plans for our life, and that, God, we would make up our mind that we are in covenant with you, and that, Lord, we'll be in covenant with the local body, and if we have a family and a wife or a husband, that we would be in covenant with them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to look at these. Uh, I didn't put these on the screen, but I can't let you leave without seeing them. L let us just uh, see all three of these. Number one, recognize the spirits in your life and others. Like, if I can ask you to do anything, don't go looking for others. There's plenty of them out there. The hardest person to recognize it in is me and you. Look at all of this and see, God, am I any of this? Is this me, Lord? Please don't let it be me. And if you'll Psalm 139 yourself, oh God, search my heart. If there's anything in there, point it out. I promise you God will point it out. If you'll do that to yourself, God will point things out and we'll be a better church for it. Come on, man, please help me build a powerful, soul-winning, devil-butt-kicking church. Amen?